Welcome to Cherry Hibiscus Tea, where we meet the artists behind the words. I am your host, Ellen Bennett, and this week, and I've been looking forward to this interview, we have Jersey City's own spoken word legend, Miss Dewana Sharice. Dewana, welcome. What's going on? I love that spoken word legend. I might have to just take that. That is wonderful. There we go. <laughs> well, it is you. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. For those of you who are meeting Duana for the first time, Duana Sharice is an explosive spoken word artist, workshop facilitator, podcaster, voiceover actor, master of ceremonies, and performer who has the ability to tantalize with her comedic truth and vibrant energy. She's also a fervent supporter of the arts and supporting local emerging talent. That said, Duana, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you become all of these wonderful things? Talk us through your journey. Okay, let's see. Um, I guess it started when I, you know, I, I started writing and I just wrote poetry as a young child, but not knowing that it was really poetry. Um, I had gotten to the cadence of rhyming all the time. And then I stopped and I saw, what's her name? Oprah Winfrey on the 25th annual uh, Essence Awards. And she actually, um, I'm not sure if it was a poem or if it was a, what do you call that? Um, Ooh. Monologue. A monologue. Okay. A monologue, right, or something like that. But the way she acted it out, um, the way she emphasized her words, like opened up a curiosity for that. And then I, you know, I sought it out in uh, early 2000s. And I went to the New Yorkian Slam, uh, the New Yorkian Cafe, and I slammed for the first time. Um, like, I don't know, an eight or nine line poem. I didn't know. I had no idea. I just seen that one thing. I've never seen an art form like that before. And I don't know how I found the New Yorkian Cafe, but I said, let me try. And trekked over into New York and I did it and I believe I got uh, my score was 26 and then I was like oh that felt good you know it it felt good to be a first timer and to do that and I was fascinated by slam and so I took a journey into slam and made a slam team in Orlando because I've lived all over the globe not really just in Orlando and Texas, <laughs> if you want to call that all over the globe, it was, it wasn't here in Jersey city. Um, made that slam team. And I, uh, it was, it was off, but there was a stress about slam that, although I found it fascinating, the, the sport and writing for points opposed to writing my, my inner thoughts, um, and just writing them and being free, I wrote them and curtailed it to um, what could this get? Well, 
is is this the right words I should choose? Where should I emphasize this? It was a true performance art, and I was writing to perform, opposed to writing um, for therapy. It became stressful. Uh, so I stopped SLAM and opened up a SLAM venue in my city, and I was the first artist to have SLAM in Jersey City first slam venue in Jersey City. It was called the Cypher Movement. It was an open art and slam venue where uh, artists performed um, for points. Slam is poetry and it is recited and people in the audience score you on a, I guess, slam, uh, gosh, I forgot what I just said, um, that they, they judge you on a scale of one to 10. And I opened up one of those venues in um, near my home at the time. And then I wanted more fanfare. So I talked to a couple of people and uh, opened up a venue in downtown Jersey City where it was highlighted and extremely popular. Um, but I got burnt out really quick. So after like three years, three, it was about three years. Um, once I stopped, I started opening up other venues for uh, musicians. Excuse me, I did a show uh, that was called Spoken Sound where it was just like Slam. Um, but it was for musicians. And then I also did something called the dating game show that I have remixed the nineties dating game show and brought it in the two thousands with all of those things going on. I was like, ah, I love the stage. It's just a part of me. And I then joined my first band as the vocalist but all I, I, do, I do not sing. Um, nobody wants to hear the horrible bag of cats that I have in my voice. Okay, Luther, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> I got the name Luther because, not because I can sing. So. <laughs> it's not for the singing. That's another yeah. discussion for another time. <laughs> yes, yes. It would be for the other things that it's... um. It entices, you know, like like I say, tantalizes the voice if I do a couple of rolls and deepen it up and blah blah blah. Anyway, now uh, I wanted to I wanted to yes. back up the truck here. Sure, Walk us through up. that first show that you did. I think it's New Yorkian Cafes. Oh my god! Oh my Walk god. us. What are you doing over there? I, you know, I just grabbed my water. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That was. Oh yes, walk us through that night. Like, what did that feel like the first time? You know, I I don't remember who went with me. I believe it may have been my sister. Or I'm not sure. Maybe somebody I was dating at the time, but I'm not. I think it was my sister. Or not. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, so I practiced this poem, Paul Inhale. And I said, I'm going to do this piece. And I got up on the stage. 
Um, I sat there. It was wasn't a, a, a full night. It was a little empty. I think I might have visited the the cafe before um, I I did the piece. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. It's a little fuzzy. Um, so I grabbed my poem and I walk up there. And I, I know the audience can't see me, but they can hear. <laughs> oh, she can like a leaf. Like I should have memorized it. It was just like. And I was like, I inhale you as though you were cocaine to give me a rush of pleasure and dance in my brain and make my heart beat seven times to infinity. I inhaled you as though you were ointment that sank in my pores to rid me of all the rashes that the others left behind. I inhaled you to become one with me. I inhaled you to be with me, right? Now, the poem's a little longer, but those are the lines that I can take, I can remember. And I sat down, I was so nervous. And then they said, scores. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's like an examination <laughs> from people who don't know anything about me. And uh, then the scores went up and I was so happy. I was happy I made it past 10, right? That made it past 10 points. I was happy. So I was in the 20s. I was like, wow, that really felt good. And so when I used to do performances and I used to incorporate that piece, but it's so different now. It's like, I inhaled, I, inhaled, I inhaled you as though you were ointment to rush into a bars and give me a pleasure and make my heart beat 750 times to infinity. I inhaled you like you would come to so again, but that's how I do it now. If I can remember the words, be great. If I can find it. But yeah, so. We was going there with you though. <laughs> we, we was right yeah, there yeah, with yeah. you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I inhaled you as though you were cocaine to give me a rush of pleasure and dance in my rain and make my heart beat 750 times to infinity. So, yeah, I, I picked up some things along the way, as you see. Yes. <laughs> from, my, from my first point, it was just like, just do it. Whatever your voice has to offer in slam, you cannot have any props. So your voice is your instrument. All you can use is your voice. Um, anything else? is, I guess, considered a prop. If you touch the mic a certain way or do anything, you can't because it is a prop. So all you have is your imagination, creativity, and your mouth. And then you go. And that's what it was. That sounds good. You got gems there. I don't know if we have some people out there who are looking into becoming spoken word artists, but that's gems right there from someone with a lot of skin in the game. So some skins. Take ma'am, ma'am. <laughs> Not those skins. Ma'am. You're on strike two already. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm no, sorry. you're you're good. Um all right, so here's another good question. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a piece that you have been hesitant to share? Mm-hmm. Um, only in my writings right now, not back then, because I wrote for Slam. I wrote for the fanfare. I wrote for the ahas, and I wrote for the mm-hmms, and I wrote for the giggles. 
but it's not until now that I have been reborn into my new self that I write things and that I don't think that I can share them. I was reading back on some of my old works and I was like, oh my God, oh my God. It was extremely personal. It had a lot of um, personal uh, intimate details of me and my family and some things on how I felt and what I was saying. And I had no idea that I wrote it. So I have two kinds of writings, writings that I'm planning on writing. And then I have the regurgitation writing, which means that there is something that is ailing my body and I need to release um, the, the pain or the joy or whatever emotion it uh, is that is lingering in me or aching or ailing me to um, feel better. So I believe that that was a regurgitation of some things that might have been ailing me. And I forgot about it because once I write it down, it's done. But it was, it was in a form that I was like, did I write this? My writing has changed a whole lot. And sometimes I reread stuff. And I was like, this is bullshit. <laughs> what the hell are you thinking? Oh. And then it's like, this is garbage. And you, you can't show this to anybody, not your greatest of allies or your fiercest enemy. You will take this bullshit to the grave. And so, um, uh, so I don't. But yeah, there is writings that I, um, that I have now that I, I, cannot, I cannot share. They're too, they're very close. There was one piece that was about uh, violence. Ooh, somebody didn't silence their phone. There was one piece about violence and um, uh, about my family violence that I shared at a domestic violence, uh, um, I don't know, event. And uh, the word trigger wasn't, it, it just, it wasn't around. It, it wasn't available for people to say first. And I remember taking it from that one particular uh, outlet and bringing it to another event. And after I finished, nobody clapped. They, it was like they were soaking it in. And then when it was done, they were like, That was the worst feeling. That wasn't my worst, worst feeling. It was the worst feeling. And they were like, wow, wow, wow. I don't know what I did with that piece. I can't find it to this day. I'd really like to find it. Oh, wow. I'm, uh, I'm shit. <laughs> wow. I was like, oh, I'm never performing this again. And, um, but I'd like to find it because I'd like to see what it is and I'd like to rewrite it. Well, Maybe it helps I, I hope somebody. you do. 
Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, Duana writes per- very personal, as you can hear, works full of vivid metaphors about topics like relationships, self-actualization, racism, sexual identity, and other topics with humor and candor. Tell us, Duana, when do you feel the most inspired and what inspires you? It has to be something that shakes me, that shakes my core. And when my core has been interrupted, then it pretty much inspires me. And it doesn't have to always mean that it's um, solemn, but I, I could be so jovial, you know. Um, I wanted to write about the moment that me and my mother had the other day on the telephone. I asked her about our family, and I don't think I've ever done that before. I cared to know who my grandmother's sisters were and who my grandfather was to my grandmother and how they met and all of those things. I never really delve into that before. We didn't talk much about it. There was more things on the forefront. But the other day on the phone, it felt, it felt pleasing. It felt delightful and sad because I never asked before nor was I told. So I never, you know, but I just wanted to know the type of people that my family, who they, who they are. I mean, the, the backpack people, the core, the mommy and the daddy, the, the granny and the grampy. So things like that, um, that was a moment for me. It was, it was a sobering moment for me. Like I just asked my mother about my grandmother and my grandfather and how they met and things of of that nature. So those are the things that um, incite me. This um, occurrences going on in the world today uh, with Black Lives Matter are very dear and near to me. But I think they're dear and near to a lot of folk. We're happy, I, as an African-American woman, um, I'm happy to know that some people are finally able to see um, the struggles and the beautiful people that we are and the struggles that we've overcome and the resiliency that we have. So those things, um, that incited me too. So, yeah. It's it's very interesting uh, that you mentioned, you know, about the the struggles um, that are unique to Black people because it's October first and it is LGBTQ History Month and we are Black queer people and um, here on Cherry Hibiscus Tea, we are all family. We are all mm-hmm. Black queer. Yes. We got Cousin Luther over here. Um, We are all (laughs) Black queer creatives, and we all have our coming out stories. Would you like to share with us your coming out story? Girl, I ain't came out. I was ripped out. (laughs) 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 
I don't know how much of a story it is. I was dating a young lady and um, um, she had an ex. Her ex, of course, uh, did not process through the feelings that she had. They were separated. They no longer lived together. I was just a young chap. <laughs> I was about 19 or so. But the young lady that I uh, was in a relationship with was my boss. Um, so her ex, I guess, got back in the house or she invited her there or I don't know what happened or she walked in with a key. I was clueless and, and didn't know the matters and the trials and tribulations and the content of love. So I just, whatever. The ex went into her personal stuff, found my information, called my mother. That was back when there were telephones and not cellular phones. And she, she rotary dialed my mom. <laughs> she called my mother and told my mother that you should watch out for your daughter because she's hanging around Dyke. Ooh. Uh, now, I was in college and I called home for, I don't know, just because I just wanted to hear my mama's voice or talk to them or whatever. And she asked the question. Now, I didn't know any of this happened. She asked the question, um, are you uh, Sherry's girlfriend? Is that your girlfriend? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, no. Is she your girlfriend? So I remember that moment like it was yesterday. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um, and then I'm doing all the calculations in my head. If she asked me this question and then she asked me again twice, she actually knows the answer. So you might as well just tell the truth and don't lie about it. So I was like, yes. And she said, well, maybe it's a phase that you're going through. And I was like, okay. And uh, that was my coming out story. <laughs> there was, the story uh, I hear is, is, is different. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You said the other story you heard was different? No, I said everybody's story is different. Oh, yeah. So that was basically my coming out. I just said yes. And, um, you know, that's growing. That's That coming out to my family was growth for, um, well, like I said, ripped out because somebody kind of like dropped a dime. Um, so it, it, she took away my power to do it myself. Um, but I just knew not to say no to it. Um, it was growth for my mom. It was, it was growth for me. It was growth for my sister, my mother's boyfriend, it, it, the whole nucleus, the whole nucleus, it was, it was growing pains for the nucleus. And, when they stopped caring about what other people think, things got better for me. And that's 
all I can say. It was, it was just growth. You know, I can't, my mom, um, since then has, she embraces me all of me in and out, but I'm a lot older and wiser. But um, my sister, when I was going through the tumultuous time with my mother, was my rock. She didn't care. She never looked at me different. She never looked at me cross-eyed or sideways, or she never, she just knew me as her sister. And I'll always remember her for that. While my mom was going, growing through, and it was truly growing through the idea that uh, her daughter is gay. She, yeah, she grew through it because the pattern had to stop somewhere. If your family hates gays and you're taught the hatred of gay or you're taught the hatred of different, um, she's like, oh my gosh, now. And, and it wasn't like my mother wasn't a hateful person well, then or now. She's the one of the sweetest people ever. But there was a particular, um, uh, I'm looking for the word, it's, it was um, a pattern uh, or you basically do as your, your tribe does or you go along with your tribe until something else comes through. And I knew my mom, um, you know, loved gay people, but there was, she just had to, because they were, I seen them come to the house. Right. So right. it's different when it's your child though. It's, it's different. And when your mindset is back, um, it's back at 1940s, 50s, and, and, you, and your, your family is not very liberal with their thoughts, then you tend to hold on to that. But um, I am the only person in my family that has come out, that is out. Um, call me courageous or call me crazy. Um, but I'm the only one. I'm, I am the, I am the only one. And, um, I don't know when the others is going to come, but you know, uh, maybe they won't ever, you know, so. Yeah. And everybody has their own timeline. So mm -hmm. you, you really, you, you just never know. Um, Thank you for sharing that with us, Duana. I really appreciate it. You guys can't see, but she's holding up her. What is that? What is that thing? You I've seen it in person. What is that called again? I, I don't know. It's like a Mexican head. It's like a, a little Mayan head. Yeah. <laughs> I just figured I'd share that. That's my, uh, that breaks up the stiffness. That breaks up the stiffness. Yes. So I just got one more question before we get to my favorite part of the show. Um, I, you will find out about my favorite part of the show in just a moment. Just be patient. Yes. So, ma'am, um, what are your hobbies outside of performing and hosting? Um, no. Uh... <laughs> no, you didn't. I'm glad you guys can't see that. That was completely vulgar and we would have to and we would have yes. to stick an 
explicit content yeah. sticker on it and then no one would ever hear the podcast. Is so no. PG, is this a PG-13? No, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it's supposed to be PG-13, ma'am. <laughs> okay, well, I, I, children, uh, please don't take it personal when I use four-letter words as adjectives. I, I solely apologize to your virginity ears. But um, so my hobbies, what do I do? I ride a motorcycle. Um, that's a hobby, pretty expensive one, but shit, you know, it's, um, I, you know, I do it for freedom and joy and, and therapeutic value. I, oof, well, all this stuff that I'm doing here now is my second job. I'm a podcaster and I, that would be a hobby. Uh, I write, I perform. I consider those all to be hobbies that um, are sometimes lucrative and and sometimes they are not. I act. I was actually going over some lines um, right before you called. Um, Really, that, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I like to ride the motorcycle. That's when I'm not doing anything for regular work or my second job. This is what I call my burning of the midnight oil job. And when I'm in, I'm in. Um, I was locked in for five days and making a video mm-hmm. for a performance. And I'm not um, going to be able to use the video. And... countless of hours and um uh but it's okay because they want the performance to be raw and given and what i have to give i don't know if uh if you ever see me perform peace well here i know you see me act before Mm -hmm. um my mama is calling me um let me just tell her call her back um please tell her don't don't tell her that you're in, I'm interviewing you because I don't know if you showed her what you threatened to show her and, and she's going to think that I'm a bad influence on you. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> no, not that. I didn't show you that. Um, well, it's not that anymore. It's more like... <laughs> okay. <laughs> All righty like then. Okay. Right. So, you said that we're not on video. Yes. Yeah. No, we're not on video. Um. So as Dewana said, she is an avid biker. When did you discover your love of bikes and how oh. did you discover a community oh. of fellow riders like yourself? I love motorcycle riding. I've loved it since before I had a motorcycle and that has been for a very long time. And I always said, I'm going to get my license. I'm going to get my license. I'm going to get my license. Since then, every time I went to the Bahamas or any, any place, I would always rent a scooter and I'd be on that thing. I like um, uh, straddling something and feeling the power in between my legs. Bazow. Yes. You heard it. You just heard. flirting with that PG-13, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> but that's hey. all right. That's all right. Hey. I got something for you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, children. Now, I can't with her. Now, now is the point of the show. That is my favorite part of the show, which as an aside, dear listeners, Dewana knows nothing about. This is the part of the show where we get to sip some tea on our guest. 
Now I can ask a silly <laughs> question or I can ask a serious question and you just have to wait to find out. I am ready for this and I know our audience is ready for this. Duana, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Nope. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's, Let's do it. Yeah. Did you go take a sip? Mm -hmm. Take that good sip. It's good. Nice and parched. Nice and lubricated. Okay. All right. Here is our tea question. What do people seem to misunderstand about you? Huh. Um. It's very difficult because you usually see what you see, what you get, you get what you see. But um, I think they miss my depth. They misunderstand the depth because I host a lot of shows and I'm on 100 and I'm funny and I make people laugh or I'm flirty because I'm, I'm hosting a, a, a dating game show. So they see that I'm funny and I'm flirty and I'm, I'm a hoot. Um, some people think that I have a lot of women. Um, I have been told that more than a couple of times. And I'm like, well, can you find them for me? Because I can't find a lot of women that you think I'm with. Um, I don't know why they think that. Uh, they misunderstand. I do not have any woman. I am yet very single. And they think that I do because of my job. And I guess I do my job well. You do so, do your job well. <laughs> I, would, so, I see you, I see you hosting, hosting those shows, ma'am. Oh, I can see why people think, yes, I do watch. Yeah, I can see, see why, why people, people think you're flirty. Uh huh. Well, I mean, I've, and you forget, I've seen, show. I've seen you in action, ma'am. Well, I, you know, my feeling is you have to feel good about what you're doing. Some people may have some reservations when they're online, and you know, even if it's joking around, they maybe feel a little uh, subconscious about what they're saying and how they're saying it and what they're doing, and I just. I just want them to relax. And so I'll, you know, say some things to relax them or make them feel good. You know, there's a winner at every show. And I don't want anybody to walk away as a loser, to feel like they're a loser. I don't want them to feel that. We never know what somebody's going through. So, yes, the misunderstanding is the depth. People don't understand the depth. You know the depth, Miss Lakira. But a lot of people don't understand and know the depth that I have because of a couple of jobs. They're like cast typing me. They cast typing me. They think I'm some some playgirl and, and, and I, I got some, uh, you know, a, a harem of, of ladies just waiting for me. And I don't. So my number is for all of those who care. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. All right, ma'am. And I'm, I'm going to put aside the fact that you use my government name on my podcast, ma'am. I don't know who that... That was my alter ego that said that other name that creates people in their head. I didn't say LM? No, you didn't. 
that was my alter ego. <laughs> that was my alter ego, LM. Um, but I know this other person named that other name. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Dewana and I are friends. So if you guys can't tell by now. Did you edit that out? Are you, is this live? No, it's not live, but it's going to be edited. Okay, good. Yeah, you could just take that. I could just leave that in. I don't, I don't care. So um, thank you, Dewana, for sharing that bit of yourself with us. It has been a pleasure to have you on the show today. And the pleasure has been all mine, if I may tell people where they can look me up for Please. some cheer or some good vibes, some great feelings. We could talk, you know, and if you have a motorcycle, I don't really have a crew um, because I'm a solo roller. I rollo solo. And if you want to ride with me or you want to chill with me, you want to hang with me, you want to talk with me, check me out at duanasharice.com. That's D-U-J-U-A-N-A-S-H-A-R-E-S-E dot com. Shoot me some, hit your girl up. Check me out on the Black Lesbian Love Lab uh, on uh, the second Saturday. But you can check me out um, this month on the third Saturday, which is the 17th which will be streaming live on the Seattle Film Festival, our dating game show. So if you want a couple of laughs, get to see how we hook people up, uh, just come on. It's a great vibe in this COVID season. Come on, get some smiles and we need some joy in our hearts. We certainly do. And that is our show, folks. Uh, Also, thank you to this week's artist, Sarah the Instrumentalist. We will see you all next week. Bye-bye.